I, I do a podcast. I'm not, I'm not interested in your podcast. The anathema of God was for those who denied justification by faith alone. When that is at stake, we need to be on the battlefield exposing the air and combating the air. We are unabashedly, unashamedly Clarkian. And so the next few statements that I'm going to make, I'm probably going to step on all of the Vantillian toes at the same time. And this is what we do at Simple Reformanda Radio, you know, we are polemical and polarizing Jesus style. I would first say that to characterize what we do as bashing is itself bashing. It's not hate, it's history, it's not bashing, it's the Bible. Jesus said, Woe to you when men speak well of you, for their fathers used to treat the false prophets in the same way, as opposed to blessed are you when you have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. It is on. We're taking the gloves off. It's time to battle. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I want to welcome you back to the podcast. Uh, this is Tim Shaughnessy, and I'm here with Carlos Montijo. You are listening to Semper Reformanda Radio. All right, so Carlos, uh, we've got a big task ahead of us today. Uh, let's just go ahead and jump right into this. We are going to at least start tackling John Piper again. We've been talking about doing this episode for quite a while and uh looking at all the material it looks like we're probably going to have to break this into at least two episodes hopefully two uh we might have to push it to three episodes we are going to be using your most recent article the article is let me go ahead and pull it up right here uh it has a long name so thought you would have memorized it by now no, no. It's when Protestants are on the side of Rome, John Piper, final salvation, and the decline and fall of sola fide at the last day. There you go. But uh, I thought this article was very good. I want to commend you for your work. I know that it took uh, almost a year to write this out. And for a lot of people, I think that this issue might feel like an old issue. Like, we've dealt with that. We're done with that. Let's move on. But we feel like there's a lot of people out there that still aren't seeing the problem and we want to really dive into it. And so let me just go ahead and read this. Uh, it is a fair and accurate representation of John Piper to say that he is teaching that only a faith which produces good works can justify a person, which he says gets you into a position where God is 100% for you, but that such faith is not enough to get you into heaven. So we are being completely fair and charitable to Piper when we ask people to explain why, according to his view, a faith, which is a true and living faith, that is made manifest by good works, is not enough to get you into heaven. Piper says in his famous sermon, uh, which is still found on Desiring God's website, he says, quote, you don't get into heaven by faith alone, you get justified by faith alone. Now, does Piper think that you can be justified by a faith which produces no good works? No, he emphatically and repeatedly denies that. So the faith which alone justifies you, in his view, is a faith which produces good works. That is the faith Piper is speaking of in the context of this quote. And here I want to point out to all of our listeners and our critics that we're not taking them out of context. So our question is this. Why isn't that faith enough to get you into heaven? Let's walk this out just a little bit more. From Piper's position, we logically only have one of two options. The first option is that you can be justified through a faith, which is a dead faith and produces no good works. Or secondly, you cannot get into heaven through a true and living faith alone, which does produce good works. Again, we want to point out that Piper emphatically denies the first option and he emphatically affirms the second option. Now remember, we need to represent the man accurately, 
and fairly, and its defenders need to represent us accurately and fairly too. So we are not saying that a person can be justified by faith, which is a dead faith, and Piper is not saying that either. So his defenders need to stop citing James 2 to us and making this the argument as if we are pushing some sort of antinomian view. Please keep in mind that logically these are the only two conclusions from Piper's position that we don't get into heaven by faith alone, but that we get justified by faith alone. Either the faith that he is speaking of is a faith that manifests itself in good works and is therefore a true and living faith, or it is not. Once we recognize that Piper is speaking of a true and living faith, which is made manifest by good works, because that's the only faith that justifies a person in his view, then the unavoidable conclusion becomes clear, that a true and living faith is not enough to get you into heaven. So please tell me why the imputed righteousness of Christ through faith alone, which is a true and living faith that is made manifest by good works, is not enough to get us into heaven. What more do we need? Should we side with the Judaizers and add circumcision? Should we side with Rome and add the sacraments and good works? Or should we side with John Piper and add fruits of faith and love and obedience and an inherent righteousness? So that's where I want to start. And we're going to dig into uh, your article here in just a minute, Carlos. But there's a couple of things that I want to just give our listeners for consideration. One, is Piper being clear? We hear all the time that Piper's not being clear, that he, he's suddenly, he, he's not clear. Uh, and I hope to address that in uh, much more detail later on. But just ask yourself through the course of this, because we're going to be quoting Piper a lot. Is Piper being clear? Uh, the second thing that we are eventually going to address is, uh, is Piper teaching the doctrine of vindication? that is right in line with historic Reformed Orthodoxy. We've heard that a lot, and we are going to address that. The next thing that I want our listeners to get is, is Piper essentially teaching what James chapter 2 teaches? So we're going to get into that. Another question is, is Piper is Piper's teaching right in line with Lordship Salvation? That's a big one that we hear all the time. Um, and is Piper teaching about glorification when he talks about final salvation. So we are going to get into all of this. Um, Carlos, let me ask you, well, first of all, let me just say thank you for writing the article. And uh, let me ask you, are you ready to jump into this? Let's do it. Okay. So part one was published on uh, 5-27-2018. And we recognize that this is Almost, uh, it's now over a year since this controversy erupted, and this article was published uh, a couple of months ago. But, Carlos, uh, how did you want to do this? Did you want to just uh, go through the fatal flaws, or did you want to start by talking about the last days of evangelicalism and, uh, and talk a little bit about the instrumental copula, as you put it in your article? Yeah, we could talk about the major points of the the articles. Um, when, it was actually published on May sixth, but I updated it a little bit later to um, to uh, refine a few uh, statements that I made. So we can we can start from the beginning. Um, so yeah, this this so people understand we we're taking this very seriously. We're not just arbitrarily putting out articles. And, and not really taking the time to plow through what Piper's actually saying, what he's trying to communicate. And it took months, like you said, it took months to write this article. If I was uh, doing this full time, it probably wouldn't have taken me that nearly that long. But um, having kids and a full time job and things like that, it just obviously it just uh, it it was a, it was a struggle and it was very difficult to finally finish the article. And I'm glad it, that it's finally um done so um that uh, for those of you who haven't read it i do hope that you get the chance to read it because so there's obviously the as the controversy has ensued there's been a polarizing of of sides and i think it's probably accurate to say that we are on the 
far end of the other side of this issue um, in terms of how wrong we think Piper is about what he's saying. And so sort of on our side would also be R. Scott Clark, um, a few others as well, the Trinity Foundation, Tim Kaufman, you know, they're, they're more on our side. And then on the other side of the, of the divide, you have people like obviously Piper and uh, Mark Jones, who is uh, one of, if not uh, Piper's biggest defender. So when we go through the article, after dealing with the article, I do want to deal with some of what uh, Mark Jones has um, written in, in uh, an effort to defend Piper. So I say we just dive right in. What do you say, Tim? Yeah, let's go ahead and do that. Um, let's start with, uh, I really, really liked the way that you talked about faith as the uh, instrumental copula. And um, if you, it, one of the things that we've been pointing out is that faith is not a condition that, that we meet, but it is the means by which we appropriate the righteousness of Christ. Um, and so I thought you did a really good job on the instrumental copula. I've never heard it explained like this before. Uh, it was really helpful to me to read this. Uh, so why don't, why don't you start there? You know what? Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. And I think I'd like to give a little bit of a background as to how this all got started, because, um, as I've been thinking about, uh, things and developing my understanding of, of the issue, um, the way this all kind of got started was Piper in, I think last September put out an article on his blog, does God really save us by faith alone or something like that. And we were on the Bible thumping wing network at the time. And so you initially published an article right by yourself, I think, uh, critiquing Piper, or I don't remember if you got Tim Kaufman to, to follow up with you afterwards on the first article or you wrote another one with him um the first article was co-authored with me and tim because uh, i wanted to quote him and so i just asked him to uh, help write the article and then there was a second article that was published just by him and then we combined the two articles and uh, published it on the trinity foundation right so you responded fairly quickly to what he uh, to his article and with me, I tend to get this stuff very late. I just, uh, I take much, it takes me much longer to get this stuff out, unfortunately. But, um, so that's why, like you said, that's why we're doing this a little bit after the fact, but it's not really over. The controversy hasn't really been settled as far as I can tell. And Piper is still making very, you know, doubling down on his, uh, his statement. So when we started talking about this, it, it created a lot of controversy and there, it kind of polarized the network, the Bible Thumping Wingnut Network. And so as we were talking about this with others in the network, we were kind of discovering things about Piper that um, just kind of all along the way as we were thinking about this stuff that a lot of things came up that people hadn't really talked about. And so I initially was just kind of sitting back, chilling in the spiritual cut, not really thinking I needed to get involved because you had already published that article with Kaufman, and Kaufman wrote an extensive article not too long after that, kind of surveying all of Piper's uh, works, uh, go going back all the way back, you know, decades. And I thought he did a pretty thorough job. I mean, the article was pretty thorough, and I thought the matter was pretty much whatever needed to be said was said. Um, but then, after as we started to get more into this, and as Piper started to continue to publish articles and and you know statements pertaining to this matter of uh, final salvation it really started to provoke me and I, I just I got so provoked by what was going on that um, I kind of just I got out of my spiritual you know slothful chilling back position and I just I really felt compelled to just kind of uh, start dealing with the issue so when we were discussing this with people like uh, on the internally within the network, um, it really helped to kind of draw out a lot of the issues, what the issues actually were. And so this article is basically, uh, by and large, that process of me kind of working this stuff out myself, interacting with others about it, and, and learning more and more and, and getting deeper and deeper into the situation. So... Um, 
one of the the first the article basically starts out with establishing that this is a primary issue uh this is salvation this is talking about justification this is talking about salvation and um not confusing it with sanctification so it's a vital primary doctrine and and, and the other point was that all of the reformers were unanimously agreement in agreement on this point they uh unanimously were uh, one in affirming this as you can even see it from the confessions that were developed uh during the time of the reformation justification was something that was solidified and and unanimously affirmed and understood and so uh that is the question how do you get right with god that is the big question and obviously the answer is justification by faith alone sola fide that is the 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 material cause of the reformation this is what the reformation was all about and going through this process really helped me to understand that on a whole deeper level that before I hadn't even I hadn't even grasped yet grasped yet so um, like you had mentioned um, as I was thinking through this I was reading a lot of quotations from other Protestant theologians and pastors from church history such as Charles Spurgeon and Spurgeon is very uh, he's a very colorful writer he illustrates things very clearly with concrete examples and reading him and some of these other other reformed historic uh, classical authors kind of got me thinking about how to properly explain the relationship between faith and justification and the confessions do a very good job of that already they do they answer you know that's already been very clearly articulated in the in the Westminster larger and shorter catechisms in the confession the Westminster confession of faith and the Heidelberg catechism you know the Belgic the Dutch reform standards those are all very clearly articulated uh, articulated very clearly and so the 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 first major section of the article is called the instrumental copula and that was the point of of describing that faith is the instrumental cause or copula of justification what this means is that faith the work of faith or the act of faith itself does not contribute anything at all to our justification whatsoever and this is an extremely vital key point to understand because there was people in the network who were saying the opposite they were saying that faith does contribute to your justification that faith is somehow a work that you have to do and it contributes to your justification which was historically the arminian position that was what arminians historically believed and that was why the canons of Dort were published, and that's what, partly why the Armenians were condemned, because um, the reform position was always that faith does not contribute to your to your justification; it is only the instrument, or the copula, uh, to use a logical term, by which the work of Christ is applied to you. And so, what by what I meant by the term copula is that when you talk about logical, and logic. A propositional logic you have a subject you have a predicate and you have the copula the subject is the subject just like in english uh, grammar the subject is the the noun that you're that you're talking about the predicate is whatever describes the subject and then you have a copula which is the verb to be is and th that copula contributes no content no description no meaning whatsoever to the subject the only function of the copula and propositional logic is to connect the predicate to the subject. And so I give an example in the article talking about the, the simple proposition, God is holy. So in that proposition, holy is the predicate, God is the subject, is connects the, the, the predicate, holy, to God. That's all it does. It adds nothing whatsoever to the subject. So in like manner, faith itself does not add anything to justification. It is merely the bridge or the copula by which the the work of Christ is applied to our behalf forensically. And so um, there's a really good quote by uh, Spurgeon as well. He touches on this. Uh, he says in, in his book, All of Grace, he says, Remember this, or you may fall into error by fixing in your mind so much upon the faith which is a channel of salvation as to forget the grace which is the fountain and source even of faith itself. Faith is a work of God's grace in us. No man can say that Jesus is the Christ, but by, but by the Holy Ghost. 
No man cometh unto me, saith Jesus, except the Father which hath sent me draw him. So that faith which is coming to Christ is the result of divine drawing. Grace is the first and last moving cause of salvation, and faith, essential as it is, is only an important part of the machinery which grace employs. We are saved by by uh, we are saved through faith, but salvation is by grace. Sound forth those words as the archangel's trumpet: "By grace are you saved." What glad tidings for the undeserving! So Spurgeon is right in line with this historic understanding of of, ju of the uh, pro uh, justification by faith alone. That is the historic Protestant understanding of justification by faith. And later on, we're going to quote some of the catechisms to show that as well. So neither faith nor works contribute to our salvation, therefore, um, because faith is simply the instrumental cause. And so I'm going to talk about works a little bit later. So this is exactly what Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says. Ephesians uh, 2, 8 through 9 is very clear. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. That's inescapably clear. So there's a there's obviously there there's a difference of opinion as to what that it that and it refers to in verse nine. And uh, so there's differences of opinion. But I quoted Calvin and another comment uh, commentator. His name is Harold Honer, showing that the the that that and it refers to the entire preceding section that the apostle paul was elaborating so it doesn't just refer to faith as some say it refers to the all three concepts of grace saved and faith in other words it refers to the entire concept of salvation by grace through faith and calvin himself concurred with this understanding he says paul's doctrine is overthrown unless the whole count unless the whole praise is rendered to god alone and to his mercy and here we must advert a, to a very common error in the interpretation of this passage. Many persons restrict the word gift to faith alone. But Paul is only repeating, in other words, the former sentiment. His meaning not is not that faith is the gift of God, but that salvation is given to us by God, or that we obtain it by the gift of God. So salvation, in other words, is entirely by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, based on the ultimate authority of scripture alone and this is exactly what the reformation was about it was about justification and the authority underlying the the claim to how we are right with god which was the scriptures alone and so um, this is extremely important because a lot of people will try to use the argument that piper is talking about salvation in a broader more general sense but um in a certain we have to be very careful with that because the Bible does use the term saved, salvation, to refer to justification. So we have to keep that in mind. And so, uh, go ahead, Tim. Yeah, no, obviously this is going to be a lot of you uh, unpacking the content of your article. So I, I don't want to take away from that. I, I do remember, um, uh, I think Pastor Hines touched on some of the points that you touched on. And so I'd refer people back to his messages about this, um, that salvation and justification, um, when, when Paul talks about justification, he's, he's talking about salvation. I, I thought that was really, really helpful when he pointed that out. And I do remember that there was a lot of, uh, confusion just about what faith is. And a lot of people thought that faith was a condition that we have to meet. And that's not a proper view of faith. Faith is not something that, that you have to, meet it's not a condition and and essentially this is what piper actually says about faith and so a lot of the stuff uh that you that you're talking about i mean already i mean i hope that if people are familiar with what piper says i hope that people are already seeing that piper blatantly contradicts this stuff uh but let's press on i want to get to the next section um or did you have anything more that you wanted to add about the uh, instrumental copula section yeah, so before the end of the section, I talk a little bit about sanctification. And so this is a really important distinction that we have to keep in mind because good works uh, good works contribute nothing to our salvation. Um, they are a result of our sanctification. That is uh, why the Bible says to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. That's Philippians 2, 2, 2 12 through 13. 
In other words, this what this means is that Christians are primarily sanctified uh, by God's word, not by our own works, uh, which, which is exactly what Jesus himself said. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. That's John 7, 17 through 19. So good works are the fruit, not the cause of sanctification. Though, now there, we do have to make another distinction, though, because God does use certain works, uh, such as the, the spiritual disciplines, or uh, another common term is for it is a means of grace, such as prayer, Bible reading and study, corporate uh, fellowship, and biblical preaching, as secondary means of sanctification. And and First Timothy 4.7 reflects this because it says to exercise yourself unto or toward godliness. So there is a sense in which our works contribute to our sanctification, but it is only, it, it doesn't contribute directly. It only contributes in a, in a secondary or uh, indirect manner because they are means by which we receive the word. And we've talked about this a little bit before already. And so... Uh, there's a lot. There's a really good quote by Luther that touches on this point. He says, "Beware then of trusting in thine own contrition, or attributing remission of sins to thine own sorrow. It is not because of these that God looks on thee with favor, but because of the faith which thou hast believed His threatenings and promises, and which and which has wrought that sorrow in thee. Therefore, whatever good there is in penitence is due not to the diligence with which we reckon up our sins, but to the truth of God and to our faith." All other things are works and fruits which follow of their own accord, and which do not make a man good, but are done by a man who has been made good by his faith in the truth of God. So that's a quote from uh, Luther on the uh, in his work on on the Babylonian Babylonian captivity of the church. So this is right in line with Reformation teaching, with the, the common Reformation understanding of these passages, and. We're going to see how a lot of these key biblical passages that are bookend doctrines are going to get distorted by people like Piper and those who defend him. Um, and this is what's really important to keep in mind because a lot of those passages are, are a key component to how all of this ties into this controversy. So now for the next section deals with, uh, it's called the last days of evangelicalism. And this is where I kind of give a little bit of a state of affairs. Uh, dealing with this uh, the, kind of this issue of ecumenicism in in the Protestant uh, arena, and it's a shame because the term Protestant, the term evangelical, has completely lost its meaning uh, today. It used to mean, you know, the term evangelical used to mean to somebody who held to the material and formal principles of the Reformation, which was justification by faith alone and uh, sola scriptura, that the the Bible is the final rule of faith in matters, you know, in, in life and doctrine. So um, this is something that is completely uh, distorted in modern evangelicalism by several prominent uh, Protestants and, uh, you know, theologians such as, you know, you have Bill Bright, he's the guy from Campus Crusade, but Pat Robertson, Richard Moe, J.I. Packer, Chuck Colson, all of these men signed evangelicals and Catholics together. And this is the, the, the joint, you know, uh, statement that affirms that evangelicals and Catholics are brothers and sisters in Christ, which is plainly and patently false. Uh, the Roman Catholic Church does not hold to a biblical gospel. They deny the gospel because they believe that justification, that our works contribute to our justification. And uh, these men have, these are Protestants, these are, these are well-known Protestant evangelicals that have signed this statement and another similar issue tied to this is uh you know leading evangelicals like albert moeller who is the president of southern baptist theological seminary you have brian chapel president of covenant theological seminary you even have ligon duncan who is a presbyterian minister and president of the alliance of confessing evangelicals and once again chuck colson uh, and in both instances chuck colson co uh, was a contributor to the statement so the second statement deals with the Manhattan Declaration, and all of the men that I listed, that I listed, starting with Al Mohler, signed the Manhattan Declaration. So, but what does this statement say? I mean, it can't be that controversial, right? If all of these men, who are well-known Protestants 
influential leaders like how bad can it be right well it, it can't it can't be uh worse than the most recent uh document uh, about race what was that one called the statement on social justice yeah because al Mohler didn't sign that one yeah he did sign this other one so it can't be worse than this one right oh n- right i mean that's a sad trajectory trigger warning for you because we still got to talk about the critical race stuff yeah, don't get me started on that yet. I'm just I'm just saying, like, it's surprising that Al Mohler signed it. Unfortunately, it's a trajectory. And it's it's a trajectory among men like these, these intellectuals, these people who are in academia, to really compromise heavily with Rome. And the Manhattan Declaration is extremely ecumenical. And I'll quote it word for word. So it says, We as Orthodox, Catholic, and Evangelical Christians have gathered... To make the following declaration, we act together in obedience to the one true God, the triune God of holiness and love, who has laid total claim on our lives and by that claim calls us with believers in all ages and all nations to seek and defend the good of all who bear his image. So it's saying Orthodox Christians, Catholics and Evangelicals are one in obedience to the one true God. When Catholics and Orthodox Christians do not hold to the same understanding of God that evangelicals are supposed to hold to. So it's, it's, it's a flat compromise. It's a flat out compromise, ecumenical washover of just how divergent those other, uh, false churches are. It's a, it's a complete denial of that. Right. You, you just affirmed. A, an entire system of belief that is completely antichrist and preaches a false and damnable gospel. Sadly. You know, do you think Luther would ever sign this? Calvin? Heck no. You think any no. any of these reformers would ever be caught dead? Caught dead putting their name on something as, as utterly compromising as, as this. I mean, it, it's just astounding. That these men call themselves Protestant evangelists. It's just astounding to me. I think Luther would have railed against these these men for their compromise. And he would have railed against Piper. And unfortunately, I think today we live in a society that's that's so civil that people get offended and get hurt when you say that you disagree about something so serious as this. Yep. And, I mean, a lot of people treat church as, as if it's a business and we're trying to build partnerships and some of those bridges you just need to burn them you just need to to burn that bridge and you know warn people away from them and and unfortunately i think it's a product of of the society that we live in today sadly yeah yeah i mean it's it's just insane and it gets worse it actually gets much worse um you you're like you're like that infomercial but wait there's more <laughs> Yeah, there's more. There's there's always more, and I I, de- I dedicate some 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 space to talking about Michael Horton, because Michael Horton is an interesting case in this. You know, and I was gonna ask you. I wanted you to talk about Michael Horton because uh, I really wish that Michael Horton would actually come out and uh, say something about it. Yeah. Um. I wonder. I wonder if Michael Horton agrees with mark jones because mark jones has actually quoted michael horton in his defense for piper yeah and uh i mean if he if he doesn't agree with mark jones he should come out and say it but um i don't know maybe he does agree with him i don't know and i was actually going to send this article to michael horton but you criticized him (laughs) so then i was like ah he's probably not gonna want to read it but uh you could send him part two but it would be a little disingenuous, maybe. <laughs> Which at the at the yeah, but hold on because at the beginning of part two it says uh, it has a link to part one, so I don't think that would work. But talk a little bit about the issue that you have with Michael Horton. Now I know that a lot of people like Michael Horton. I've honestly never read anything by Michael Horton. I've uh, and I know that he's part of the White Horse Inn. I think he is. Um, but you have taken issue with him. So, uh, I wanted you to explain that, talk a a little bit about that, because it seems like he's a guy that would be on our side because a lot of people that have actually supported us really like Michael Horton. Right. So 
the guy, the people that are supporting us with this Piper issue, they like Michael Horton. Um, Mark Jones is quoting Michael Horton favorably for his position. Um, I, I don't think Michael Horton has come out and said anything publicly about this. Um, maybe he will, but in light of the fact that it seems like, you know, both sides are kind of trying to bring him over. So, so it was was almost like he's, we want him on our side, but then you kind of just like put a slam on him. So go ahead and talk about that. Yeah. And frankly, I don't really care what side he falls on. Um, Pastor Hines did, he did mention in his podcast that uh, he, he spoke to Horton. He, he corresponded with him and Horton said that he doesn't appreciate the way that people are misrepresenting him uh, on this issue. So this is really interesting because both sides are claiming him to some extent. And I criticize him heavily in the first part, but I actually quote him in agreement in the second part. And so he has he has said some articulated some things very well. Other things haven't been maybe as clear and he has it like you said he has as far as i know he has not come out and made a public statement about this issue so um but anyway the 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 issue that i took with him on pertains specifically to his an endorsement that he made of Scott Hahn's book and this is just astounding to me because you have Michael Horton a very well respected very well respected protestant influential protestant written several books and the state of affairs that we live in is is so that this is becoming so commonplace now that it's it's astounding it's just people have seriously this is a symptom of a much bigger problem of how badly we've forgotten our reformation heritage and roots and uh so you have influential protestants like michael horton praising the work of quote important theologians like pope benedict the 16th and scott hahn Scott Hahn, by the way, is a former Presbyterian who apostatized to Rome. And this is the endorsement that he said about Hahn. Hahn's book about the Pope, of all people. It says, uh, I quote Hahn, I mean, I'm sorry, I quote Horton. In this remarkable book, which is called Covenant and Communion, the Biblical Theology of Pope Benedict XVI, Scott Hahn has drawn out the central themes of Benedict's teaching in a highly readable summary that include includes not only the Pope's published works, but also his less accessible homilies and addresses. This is an eminently useful guide for introducing the thought of an important theologian of our time. So you have to ask yourself the question, you know, why would somebody like Horton, who, by the way, is a United Reform Minister, a J.G. Machen Professor of Systematic Theology and Apologetics at Westminster Seminary, California. This is the supposed bastion of Reformed Orthodoxy, right? The OPC's, you know, bastion of of reformation theology horton has a ministry called the white horse inn for a modern reformation which was inspired supposedly by the historical inn where protestants gather for frequent and and quote frequent and regular open discussions on key issues of protestant theology and quote became the kindling fire for the larger english reformation as a whole why would somebody like horton laud and celebrate the work of a Pope and Roman Catholic apologist. This is something we really have to ask ourselves. Like, why on earth would he do that? Well, okay, so let me play a little bit of devil's advocate here. Was he really celebrating it? Let's break down, let's break this down a little bit. So, in he wrote, he wrote an article about this endorsement because he got criticism for it. And so I have a footnote tied to this explaining what happened. So, Horton, um, uh, says this he said uh, so and other by the way other protestant scholars endorse the book the same book by scott Hahn. so this is this is just commonplace and um but evidently what happened is that logos bible software wanted to capitalize on horton's endorsement and by removing his supposed disagreement from the original the full endorsement which actually reads like this this is horton's full endorsement he says even when one disagrees with some of his conclusions Benedict's insights, as well as his engagement with critical scholarship, offer a wealth of reflection. In this remarkable book, Hahn has drawn out the central themes of Benedict's teaching in a highly readable summary, an eminently useful guide for introducing the thought of an important theologian of our time. And that was an article on his website, thewhitehorseinn.org, called Horton on Hahn. And so, I mean... even his supposed disagreement he says it offers a the book offers a wealth of reflection 
you know, so this kind of vague nonsense is clearly a washed over ecumenical stamp of approval on a person who was a former Presbyterian minister that apostatized to Rome and the book is celebrating the Pope's theology. How can you say that about this book when that's what this book is about? It's un unbelievable. Well, so what if he is basically just saying, if you want their perspective for academic purposes, um, like I don't endorse it, but if you want to know what they teach, here's a great book for that. Yeah, you that. know, and and so so you see this in academic circles a lot, and maybe the the setting is different in academia than it is in a church. Like a pastor wouldn't necessarily say, "Hey, uh, this is a great book if you want to know about Mormonism," because you know a lot of people might fall prey to that, and so maybe there's sort of this uh, this this attitude of academia where there where it's he's he has the mindset of an academic. If you want to know about this view, here's this book. I mean, so speak to that. Do you take issue with that still? Right, exactly. This re quote unquote remarkable book. He calls it a remarkable book. If you say a book is remarkable, what do you, what does that usually Im imply? If something is remarkable, right. that means that you think it's a very good book. Yeah. No, no, I I'm with you. So, he calls it a remarkable yeah. book. And so this is the problem. You know, instead of learning an important lesson about praising, quote unquote, remarkable books that promote Roman Catholicism and its popes, Horton shamelessly defends his endorsement on his website. And th this is the problem. You know, why is he doing this? Because it, it's clearly compromised. You can't call a, a book written by an apostate who a former Presbyterian apostate celebrating the theology of Pope Benedict the Sixteenth? Why did he do this? Is it for you know? There's and I throw out some suggestions. You know, is it is it academic respectability? As you you also suggested, Tim, is it ecumenical collegiality, or or is it just plain flat out hypocrisy? Well, I know I know what you think, and I think I think the obvious is 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 the latter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Um, you know, th there was a really good comment on the on his defense. There, somebody left a really good comment, and I wanted to read it as well. The gentleman's name was John Buguet, I think. And he, he says this, My own personal objections stem from the fact that Scott Hahn is not merely a, quote, scholar who is doing a, quote, study. Hahn is a person with a very clear agenda, and his agenda is not only well known, it is revered and imitated by scores of lesser, lesser known apologists, very many of whom bring nothing but mud to the show. In lending your name to the legitimacy of Hans' work, you are lending your good name and the name of Westminster, California to this whole movement. And since you know James White, why not ask him what he thinks about that movement? You may think that in the spirit of Christian dialogue, you will somehow accomplish something useful. But in dealing with Han, you are not dealing with a person who can make a concession at all, any concessions at all. Moreover, official Rome has very clearly rearticulated what it thinks of the churches of the Reformation. Equivocation on the part of individuals who have, with good intentions, tried to negotiate at any level at all with Catholicism, including Packer, Colson, George, and others, have seen absolutely no official budget all from Rome. How many Protestants, even your own seminary students, are well enough equipped to profitably, profitably read a work by Hahn, much less a work by Ratzinger, and to be able to deal with it adequately? In the meantime, you are someone not unimportant at a very important reform seminary. Why not commission a study of Ratzinger's work from a reform perspective and endorse that? So, you know, it, it really is astounding to me. I, I just, I think that speaks for itself. This is just absurd. And the fact that he he, he simply defended himself, it, it's just... Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree with everything that you're saying. I, I think that it would have been better, like that guy said, to have commissioned a, uh, a study on it and then to have endorsed that. Because clearly it does sound like a full-on endorsement and they even misquoted him and capitalized on it. And, I mean, it's kind of like, well, what did you expect that they were going to do, you know? Yeah, well... And aside from that, you know, th this is what's so 
this is what baffles me as well because Horton he he basically he he refused to sign the Manhattan Declaration, which is what I just quoted earlier, that was signed by Al Mohler, Ligon Duncan, and those guys. He re, he didn't want to sign, and he he wrote an article explaining why he didn't sign it. So that he's just compounding his hypocrisy now. How are you going to endorse a book by a Roman Catholic apologist who was a former Presbyterian about that's about the Pope and his theology? And, and have a problem with the Manhattan Declaration. It is just rank hypocrisy. This, this, you know, the Bible says, if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? You know, you can't have, you can't trust somebody like that. That's why I don't really trust Horton. I don't, to me, it makes a little difference what side he lands on. But, and I would hope, I would hope that he would recant and, and solidify his position. You know, like, take a stand for the truth. Otherwise, you're undermining your entire ministry with with this kind of behavior. You know, it's it's just absurd. And and but that's not the only. This isn't the only time this has happened, and it's not a surprise. You know, it's not a surprise that if he if he's willing to do something like this, you know, the Trinity Foundation. Ha, you know, John Robbins he wrote an article about him as well, criticizing other things that he has done in his in his uh in his podcast. And um, but but you know. The, the thing is that Horton should really ask himself, again, the same question. If any of the reformers that he admires so much would ever be caught dead endorsing a book by a Roman Catholic apologist that celebrates the Pope, who, according to Horton's own confession, is, quote, that Antichrist, that man of sin and son of perdition that exalts himself in the church against Christ and all that is called God. That's the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter twenty-five, section six. Yeah. Well, okay. So this is about this is supposed to be about Piper. Let's get back to the article. Um, I've played devil's advocate uh, enough. I agree with you, and I know that a lot of people are probably going to try to spin this and say, you know, it was he was uh, speaking as an academic. So we we can deal with that later if uh, if people do take issue with that. Uh, and it's funny because people would, would really take more issue with you than they would with Horton. And that's, I mean, that's the way it always is. You've disturbed the peace, so you're the, the main problem that needs to be addressed. Never mind what, what Horton did that caused an offense. Um, but let's go ahead and continue. Uh, so did you want to talk more about the last days of evangelicalism? Yeah, well, they're... they're... You know, all of the all of this is to show this is building up to something, and I don't actually talk about Piper until page six, uh, out of thirteen. So that there's a lot of building up that I'm trying to get to, to sort of establish a foundation, and show a consistent position, attempt to show a consistent position that ties everything together biblically, and in accordance with the mainstream mainstream reformed uh, tradition. And so that's why this is taking some time to develop. And, you know, yeah, people people are going to take a lot of issues with with this, but it needs to be said. I mean, uh, yeah, we're a bunch of nobodies who, you know, but it doesn't matter. I mean, that all the more so because because Horton has so much influence, he needs to be held accountable to the, to those kinds of uh, decisions that he makes. And so what does it mean to be a true Protestant? To be, you know, a, a true Protestant, one that is by conviction, you obviously have to understand what you're protesting and why. Namely, Romanism and Rome's false gospel of justification by faith and works amidst, amidst a, a massive quagmire of other false teachings. So, this is exactly what the Reformation was all about. That's why it erupted into, into this massive outbreak of controversy. And so... Um, and in fact, that might be a good way to, to kind of transition this because I didn't read the the opening to the article. In the opening, I, I, I mentioned this. So the doctrine which Martin Luther declared is the article by which the church stands or falls, which John Calvin affirmed as a principal ground on which re, on which uh, religion must stand, which forged the conflict with Rome during the Protestant Reformation, resulting in the largest schism in the history of the church, is the doctrine of justification. Justification by faith alone 
Sola Fide is the answer to life's most profound questions. Namely, how can I be right with God? So, this is what we're talking about. This is, this is why we broke away from Rome. This is why we're Protestant. And all of this is being undermined by these so-called evangelicals doing, making these compromising affirmations and ecumenical treaties that, that are just a total undermining and of, of the Protestant Reformation. And so, you know, so continuing on, th there's obviously a long history to this. It didn't start with Piper and it's not going to end with him. So there's obviously a big problem in evangelical modern evangelicalism and protestants today there there's a huge problem that you can't overlook it you just can't overlook this kind of stuff and many professing protestants and evangelicals are often ignorant now not only of the reformation but of roman catholicism too so they don't even understand what the conflict with rome was in the first place and a lot of them end up sounding more like the magisterium of rome and rather than jesus paul and the and the reformers when they expound their views of justification. And so there's a long history tied to all of these errors. You know, there's legalism, the neonomism, you know, you have federal vision, shepherdism, Auburn Avenue theology, new perspective on Paul. And th there's a really good quote by Tom Juditis in one of his articles talking about this history and cataloging a lot of the, the, the errors that have developed as a result of a lot of this compromise and an utter disregard for Reformation orthodoxy and and biblical orthodoxy so these false teachings are pervasive in protestant churches today they are all over the place and it's not just presbyterian churches because piper is a baptist so it's all over the place now and some councils have rejected them uh have rejected these movements but it, it seems to make it seems to have made little difference because people don't actually it's almost like people are hesitant, don't want to take the the hard stance of actually trying people of heresy. And so a lot of these trials, they end up getting very seriously mishandled and not properly addressed. And you have a long history of the justification controversy with Norman Shepard, you know, Richard Gaffin and all of these people that just they never really got properly disciplined. And so all of this to say this is where we finally start talking about Piper now, because in addition to this this concept that a lot of these people promote, uh, this initial and final justification of salvation, this is a very common thread among all of these views. Um, they they promote other very dangerous and often subtle falsehoods. So one of the ways they do this is that they redefine and betray sound biblical teaching and their Protestant heritage. Um, they even affirm justification by faith alone on one hand. And that this is how many people are confused because they appear orthodox but undermine it on the other completely by introducing Romanist concepts of salvation like Piper does and like these other movements do. And this is what leads them to make completely different answers to the question of how we get to heaven. When you answer the question of how we get to heaven differently from sola fide, you've gone against the Reformation. The answer to the Reformation of how we get to heaven was always and ha always has been justification by faith alone. Right. Yeah. And when you deny that a person gets into heaven by faith alone, you are denying that faith alone is the instrumental cause by which you get into heaven. And therefore something else has to be the cause and the, the means by which we, by which you get into heaven. And I, I really appreciate that we started here because I think that if people were to consider what we're saying, and take it seriously, I think that it goes a long way to answer the questions as to, well, why isn't this person seeing the problem with Piper? How come this person's not calling him out? How come, you know, pe people are being soft and, you know, well, I, I don't like the language uh, that he's using, but, but I'm not going to call him out, but I, I just don't like the language. I, I mean, first of all, what does that even mean? Because language is meant to communicate thoughts and define a position. And so it's almost like he's, these people are saying, well, he's saying the right thing, but he's just using words that I don't like. It's, it's nonsense and it's tragic. And I think that this goes a long way to answer the question as to why people are not railing against this, uh, the spirit of the ref of the reformation 
seems to, in a large uh, respect, with a large respect in, in our churches today, seems to be dead. Uh, you have men like uh, Pastor Patrick Hines, who bangs on his pulpit, rightly so, not like that other lunatic, Stephen Anderson, but we need pastors like that. We need, we, we need theologians like that. And it's so tragic that nobody wants to disturb the peace, even though the peace is being disturbed. It's an inevitable consequence of heretical false teaching. Um, so I think that's a really good place to start. We'll just uh, cap this off as the introductory episode. I'd like to end it with this. The, the thesis, this is basically the thesis of the article. In his attempt to reconcile passages like James 2.14, which says, What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? And Hebrews 12.14, which is, Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So in his attempt to reconcile those, those types of passages, Piper offsets the doctrine of justification by faith alone with a lopsided emphasis on evangelical obedience, claiming that believers are required to have good works at the last judgment for God to allow them into heaven. Piper's false teaching of final salvation is the product of both bad hermeneutics and a failure to harmonize scripture. It suffers from not one but at least six fatal flaws, all of them fatal, for the doctrine of justification is fundamental to Christianity and affects all other doctrines. To get justification wrong, to get salvation wrong, is to get Christianity wrong. So I want to leave that with folks to think about. And hopefully they, they'll take a look at the article and, and read it. And we can pick up on the first fatal flaw next time when we, when we talk about this. Tune into the episodes even if you've read it because we're going to talk about it more and unpack it a little bit more. Right. Uh, we are going to specifically address those other issues that we talked about. Is this lordship salvation? Is this right in line with what James chapter 2 is saying? Is this is he talking about glorification? Um, is Piper not being clear? Uh, we're, we're going to quote Piper extensively and we're going to get into this a little bit more. So I think that's a, a great introductory episode for this capstone series on John Piper. Uh, we talked a lot about Horton and uh, he's certainly uh, welcome to write us at semper.reformanda.radio at gmail.com uh, or speaking of which, yes, um, there's another email, right? Yes, we got a new email now. That's a good that's a good point. We have a new email uh, new email now that I was going to announce in the newsletter. We our email is now thorncrownministries at gmail.com. So you can send us an email there. If you send us an email to the old one, which is semperreformandaradio at gmail.com, we'll still get it, but that is the new email now. So try to update your 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 contact list or whatever. Um so to thorncrownministries at gmail.com. Yeah, and that's also really helpful because you can email Steve uh, Matthews, you can email Tim Kaufman, you can email uh, Pastor Hines, you can email us, you can email anybody through that email, and it's not just to Semper Reformanda Radio. Yes. Uh, so, Carlos, uh, thanks a lot, man, for laying this out. I know that you've put a lot of, wor a lot of work into this, and uh, we're going to dig into it. In the next episode, uh, God bless. Look forward to it.